right, well, it's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here, and we had to have a change of location for this Wednesday only, so if you uh, did drop by the worship center, you'll see a lot of things kind of misplaced there. We have some electronic systems that we're uh, redoing and a lot of rewiring going on, so it's kind of a, a mess over there, and they needed the whole week to do that. So thank you for being flexible and coming over here tonight for, the, the, for our study of Revelation. So glad that you're here. I want to welcome all of you, those joining us by live stream as well. Welcome wherever you are and however you may be joining us. Glad that you joined us as well. Looking forward to our study of Revelation chapter 16 tonight. We're not going through all of it. There's too much there. And so we're gonna, I want to go in through verse 11 and then starting in verse 12 through 21, then we will, uh, uh, that'll be our next session. So uh, uh, anyway, that's, we're only going through half of it tonight. Next Wednesday night, I will be out of town and our, our team that went to uh, Tanzania recently is going to share about the work that God did there. Really amazing things God did in Tanzania through our group. You're going to hear about that next Wednesday night. Then two weeks from tonight, I'll be back and we'll pick back up with Revelation 16. So we're glad that you made it. Turn in your Bibles there. ESV is the version I'm always using. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word together. Thank you, God, for Revelation such a powerful book that shows us the power of God and the power that you're going to have in the end time, Lord, to, to bring everything together where you will ultimately rule and reign, and we're thankful for that. Thank you for Jesus, that we have victory in him. As believers in Christ tonight, we have victory in him, and I'm thankful for that. God, thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you for those who are joining us online. May your presence be here with us tonight. May you be our teacher as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you'll see on your table there a QR code. If you want to take your phone out and scan it there, you'll see the notes for tonight come up. And that way you can have a, uh, uh, the notes there that I'll be, uh, I'll be sharing. So tonight let's look at, first of all, the uh, chapter 16 letter on your outline, or the recap of, of where we are at this point. So far in Revelation, the last few weeks, in the end times... There's going to be a great tribulation, seven years long, and during the first three and a half years, the world is going to reel from a series of catastrophic events that really threaten the very existence of the world. It's not going to come to an end at that point. It's going to seem like it. And then a dictator is going to rise up, as what the Bible calls the beast, the Antichrist, he's going to gain the reins of global power. He's going to have power worldwide. And then we're going to, we saw a couple of weeks ago at, at one dramatic moment, it's going to look like somebody assassinated him. But the enemy is going to give him power to stage a resurrection, a fake resurrection. And the entire world is going to be, uh, believe it. And that is going to supercharge uh, his uh, popularity, his power, uh, supercharged with satanic evil. The world's going to be mesmerized by this guy who came back from the dead. And it's going to be a, a story worldwide. So with the new worldwide fame that he has now and the fury of Satan behind him, he's going to order an image of himself to be erected and demand that the entire world worship it. Well, that's a problem for Jews, and that's a problem for Christians, uh, bowing down and worshiping an image. So Christians and Jews are not going to do it. 
And so uh, there will be a mark that you have to take to distinguish whether you worshipped the image or not. Uh, Jews, of course, obviously are not going to. Believers, uh, if uh, we're not uh, raptured before then, some say we will, some say we won't. If we're not, we'll have to go through this. If we are raptured, we'll not have to go through this. The believers that will be left at that time will be from the 144,000 Jews that have trusted Christ as Savior. They will have to go through it. They will then begin to flee to a safer spot from all of the, uh, uh, the beasts, the Antichrist, persecution. We saw in Revelation where they're going to flee to. They're going to flee to the southern portion of Jordan, what we know the country of Jordan now. Well, if you go to the southern portion of Jordan, it's Petra. And so it looks like that uh, uh, Jews and believing Jews will flee then to a safer spot there at Petra. The devil's going to be angry. Uh, he's going to try to interrupt their fleeing. He's going to fail. That's going to make him angrier. And the Antichrist then is going to form like a fake trinity, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, full of evil, full of vitriol, with a thirst for blood, and he will de determine to kill every last Jew and every last Christian on the planet. So he's going to get rid of everything, any vestige of God out there, uh, so that he can be Lord of the earth. That's what's going to happen at the end time uh, during this seven and a half year time of tribulation. Now as we come to chapter 16, we are nearing the end of the seven year tribulation. We're nearing the second return of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. So the time period of, of chapter 16 tonight is going to be toward the end of the seven-year tribulation. A couple of reminders before we get started into chapter 16. One reminder is, <clears throat> excuse me, much of the tribulation, as you know if you've studied with us over the course of the last few weeks, it's going to mirror Israel's bondage in Egypt in the book of Exodus. You remember what happened, uh, the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh's going to be like the Antichrist, uh, there, will be, there was plagues that came upon Egypt, those exact same plagues are going to be replicated on, on, on uh, the world, uh, and then of course uh, they were delivered by the Red Sea crossing and we're going to be delivered by Christ's coming. So it's going to mirror, the end time's going to mirror the book of Exodus and the, uh, the, the plagues and the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. So remember that. We're going to see more of it tonight. Second thing to remember, and that before we get to chapter 16, last Wednesday, as I came from my living room to you, uh, chapter 15 ended last week with John seeing a vision of the heavenly temple. And in the heavenly temple, he saw seven angels, each one of them white robes, each one of them a golden sash around their chest. And he saw one of the four living creatures in heaven give to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of God's wrath. Now, if you remember from last Wednesday night, it's not a bowl like we think of a bowl. It's more like a saucer. So what they call, what we call bowls, and what they call bowls, well, what we know as saucers, kind of flatter, broader, 
full of God's wrath. If you imagine a saucer tonight being full of a liquid, doesn't take much to tip it out, doesn't take much to tip all of it out. And that was the image of God's wrath being full in this bowl or saucer, just about ready to be tipped out as the angels received the seven, seven angels received the seven golden bowls, each one of them representing the wrath of God. So that's where we start. So imagine tonight, smoke is filling this temple, seven angels holding a saucer full of God's wrath, about to tip out all seven of them. Well, uh, that's where we start, chapter 16. So look at verse 1, that's where we'll begin. Now, we're only going to look at five of the seven bowls or saucers that are topped out uh, tonight. The reason why is numbers 6 and 7, there's a lot to them because we're talking about the Valley of Armageddon. And I didn't want to rush through it tonight. So in two weeks, uh, two weeks from tonight, I'm going to take my time, go through bowl 6 and bowl 7, and we're going to talk a lot more about the Valley of Armageddon, how I think it's going to unfold, and and the final battle, what it's going to look like, and who possibly, what countries could be involved in, what it could possibly look like. Those of you who've been to Israel, you can picture it. When you're standing there on the where, where Elijah and the prophets uh, uh, defeated the pro- Elijah defeated the prophets of of Baal on Mount Carmel. As you're standing there and you're looking out the Jezreel Valley, and you're looking down at an Israeli Air Force base, and Syria is about a four-minute flight over here to your left. And all the countries are within a 10-minute flight at the most in the Middle East uh, to the to your location. And you're looking at the Valley of Jezreel. You can see exactly how it's going to play out. So I want to spend a little more time explaining that in a couple of weeks. So I didn't want to rush through it just to get to the chapter. So we're only going to look at the first five of the bold judgments tonight. So let her be on your outline there. The bold judgments, first of all, verse 1. Read with me. John said, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So these bowl judgments from God are about to be poured out. They're filled with His wrath. They are going to be God's answer to the first part of the tribulation. Everything Satan tried to do for three and a half years, God didn't respond. Now he responds. And it's full of his wrath. Let's stop for a moment. The concept of God's wrath bothers some people. God's loving, God's kind, God's gracious. I don't really like picturing him as a wrath. God. But remember something. The wrath that is talked about here is not some temper tantrum that the divine is throwing. It's not a loss of self-control like you losing your temper or me losing my temper. It is a, it is a calculated response to the satanic evil to overthrow the Almighty and take His place. So, If you think of it that way, you think, okay, this is his response. But think of it another way. God, being absolute truth himself, his moral goodness would demand a response to evil, wouldn't it? 
What kind of God would look at genocide and go, oh, it's not really that big a deal? And not respond. What kind of God would look at torture and rape and molestation and not respond righteously? Just let him get by with it? So his anger is really a proper response judicially to the evil that has come. Now remember, so far we've looked at in the book of Revelation seven seals that were broken and things happened on the earth. And then seven trumpets sounded and more judgment upon the earth. And now pouring out seven bowls upon the earth, which is the most severe judgment yet. Trumpet judgments and the bowl judgment sound similar, but they are not really the same. So look at verse 1. John said, I heard a loud voice. Whose voice was it? It's coming from the temple. Who's in the temple? Nobody but God. It's God's voice. So we know this is God's voice. He heard a loud voice from the temple. Now, What's interesting is the word loud there is very interesting. It's the word megales in, in, in Greek. And it indicates a severity and an intensity. So the voice doesn't just say, oh, by the way, go pour out the bowls now. It's a voice that's loud. It's also translated fierce in the New American Standard. It's translated nine times in Revelation 18, we're going to see in a few weeks, as severe. So it is a harsh voice that they're going to hear. And it's, he says, pour out on earth the seven bowls. What's earth? Well, it could be earth as we know it. It can only be parts of earth as we know it. Some people believe, well, he's talking about the Roman Empire, maybe. Some say he's talking about the Roman Catholic Church clergy, eh, maybe. But remember one of our principles earlier about interpreting Revelation, if it can be taken literally, take it literally. Don't try to read a symbolic meaning into it. There's no reason not to take it as the earth. So, God pours out on the entire earth during the end of the tribulation all of the wrath he has stored forever. So it's not going to be a pretty picture. J. Vernon McGee, some of you have heard him through the years, the radio Bible hour he used to preach. J. Vernon McGee said, after almost a century of insipid preaching from America's pulpits, the average Christian believes God is all sweetness and kindness and light and would not discipline or punish anybody. Well, the book of Revelation in chapter 16 is about to tell a different story. And we're going to see God's wrath. First bold judgment, verse 2. Number 1 on, on, the, on your outline there, the first bold judgment. Read number, uh, verse number 2 with me. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So not the Christians 
who were here at that time, and not the Jews. Only those people who have taken the mark of the beast, there will be loathsome and malignant sores that break out. Now, the first four of these bold judgments are upon mankind directly, those who are left during the tri tribulation. It's going to be most of our population, folks. If, if believers are raptured out, that's a small percentage of the world. So most of the world will go through this. So the first four of these bold judgments are upon mankind directly. Now, if you remember back the first four trumpet judgments, those were on mankind's environment. This is on people for the first time. On people. Sores. And described as loathsome and malignant. If you remember, go back to Exodus, what was one of the plagues upon Egypt? Boils. The exact same Greek word, when the, because the Old Testament was translated in Greek into the, in, in, in the New Testament, uh, known as the Septuagint, uh, it's the same word, helotes. So the exact same word for boil in Exodus is the exact same word here, skin ulcers. Breaking out all over the surface of human bodies. Imagine everybody spreading these from person to person until the entire world is painfully oozing. Well, that's real appetizing after dinner tonight, isn't it? But they're going to be highly contagious. And everybody's going to have them. Those whose skin is marked with a beast will now be marked, not just with 666, but with festering sores. Now, there are some theologians that look at verse 2, and they see in their germ warfare. There will be something released into the air that will cause the boils. Well, for a long time, maybe we thought that was stuff of science fiction, but after covid Maybe we can imagine a little bit more, can't we? Germ warfare. How do you know that? Well, verse 17 says that it's airborne. So, maybe, uh, maybe so. Believers will be protected. But the beast and those worshiping the beast will be affected. So, first judgment, bold judgment poured out. And we see that it's boils upon all of humanity who is here except believers and Jews. Number two, second bowl of judgment, verse three. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. Well, what does that sound like? Exodus. Moses and Aaron go and they put the plague upon the Nile River that turned to blood. Now we're going to have the second bowl of judgment poured out and all of the oceans are going to be affected where the sea life dies. 
Now, if you remember earlier with the second trumpet, the sea life was affected, but only one-third of it died. Remember that? Now, the sea, which is teeming full of life today, right, will become a graveyard of death. And things in the sea will die. Now, already today, the oceans are more polluted than at any time in history. We read about that every year. 17 billion tons of plastic is found in the ocean. A garbage patch twice the size of Texas is floating out in the Pacific. Think of that. Twice the size of Texas is floating in the Pacific. Um, There is um, toxic runoff that scientists cause... Uh, say causes what are called dead zones in the oceans where nothing grows life things are killed and nothing grows there in these dead zones there's one in the gulf of mexico the size of new jersey that's a dead zone already but with the second bold judgment things are going to get worse and the entire oceans are going to be a dead zone where everything in the oceans dies and there's a color that the ocean turns a color that resembles blood. Now, I can see the newscasts. Fishermen going out to fish, and there's nothing there. And marine biologists researching, and things are dead. And there's a strange color to the water. It looks almost blood-like. And I can hear the news reports now. Now, Bible scholars look at this and they say, is it actually going to be blood or is it just going to be a liquid that looks like blood? Well, we don't know. Some Bible scholars say that it is just a liquid that looks like blood. Other, others say, no, it's actually going to be something that resembles coagulated, rotting, clotted blood. We don't know. What's the hermeneutical principle that we've kind of talked about already? If a passage is to be taken literally, you take it literally, unless there's an obvious reason to take it symbolically. So having said that, I guess it's going to be blood. Because it's what we're told. Like the blood of a corpse. So the second angel pours out his bowl, and it becomes like the blood of a corpse. Every living thing that was in the sea dies. Hard to imagine, isn't it? So we have boils, we have everybody miserable, we have the sea life dying, and now we go to the third bold judgment, verses 4 through 7. Verse 4 first, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So now we have fresh water that's affected. What does it sound like? Exodus. What happened in Exodus? Do you remember? We hearken back to Exodus. Aaron lifted up his staff after the Nile turned to blood. The Aaron lifted up his staff in Exodus seven nineteen, and the streams and the canals and the ponds and the reservoirs all turned to blood. And it said, even the water gathered in the pitchers in the house 
and in their vessels all turned to blood. And if you remember, the Egyptians went out, verse 24, started digging wells trying to find fresh water. Couldn't find it. So, with the third bowl judgment poured out, the drinking water across the planet is going to become like blood. Lakes, streams, rivers, springs, wells are all going to look like blood. That's a little more serious than the oceans turning to blood, isn't it? Because you don't live very long without fresh water. And I can imagine people trying to dig water wells. It's all blood. Now, it's not going to last forever. Because verses 17 to 21, we're told the fresh water becomes available again. So it's only for a season that the fresh water turns to blood and is undrinkable. But then it will be restored. Now look at verse 5. It's interesting. In verse 5, all of a sudden, while these bold judgments are being poured out, John stops the narration of what he, what he sees because he hears something. He hears a choir from heaven singing. And they're praising. They're praising God. Who is it? It's the martyrs. Who are the martyrs? Those who have died for their faith. They're praising. What are they praising? They're praising God for avenging their blood. They saw the first three bold judgments and they went, Hallelujah! They finally got what was coming to them down there. Because for so long they had been, they had been spilling the precious blood of the, of the people of God. Killing them, martyring them. And now the martyrs cry out, thank you, Jesus. Finally, they're getting it. And that's after the first three. You remember earlier in, in, uh, in, in our study, uh, remember what chapter it was? It's early, four or five. We heard those martyrs under who were crying out, how long, Lord? How long are you going to let this go on? And God said, be patient, be patient. Well, now we get to chapter 16, and they're going, hallelujah, thank you. It finally happened. So let's see what they said, verse 5. And I heard an angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. God will pour blood out on the earth because humanity poured out the blood of his people. See, see the analogy? God is saying, you, you take the blood of my people and kill them. I'll put blood on your life source. I'll put blood in your water. You see, you see how, how the crime fits the punishment. Do you know God did that a lot in Scripture? You remember Pharaoh tried to drown the babies in the water? And his armies being ended up drowning in the water in Exodus. You remember Haman tried to hang Mordecai on the gallows. And it ended up he was hung on the same gallows in Esther. 
Do you remember King Saul disobeyed God by refusing to kill the Amalekites, and God had an Amalekite kill him, at least take the credit for it, in 2 Samuel? God has a way of doing that. God has a way of bringing back justice that fits the crime. And here he's saying, you pour out the blood of my people, I'll pour blood out upon your sources. And so we see it. And then in verse 6 he says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. Verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So John sees the picture of what's being poured out for only three bold judgments of the seven upon the earth. And then he hears a choir praising God for doing it in heaven. And then we go to the fourth bold judgment, verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, verse 8 says. And it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent. And give him glory. Let's look at that for a moment. The fourth bold judgment was climate change. The sun's heat will grow hotter and hotter than normal. Boy, this is appropriate time of year for us to be studying this, isn't it? Man, it feels like he's already done that out there, doesn't it? Yes, climate change is coming. Is climate change real? It sure says the fourth angel says it is. But it will come not as a result of humans abusing the environment. It will come because humans have abused God. Not as a result of ignoring emission laws, but as a result of ignoring God's laws. Not for a lack of living green, but for a lack of living clean. So actually, many who are adamant about climate change, just being transparent with you, are also the ones who affirm lifestyles that go against God's words and commands. Not knowing they're going against God's own commands, is ushering in the climate change. Isn't that ironic? So, it's going to happen. The earth's going to get hot and burn, and it says scorch people. Now, is this going to be a destruction of the ozone layer? Very possible. A lot of theologians believe, yes, this, this implies, the wording that's used implies solar flares, a uh, burst of electromagnetic radiation that scorches people, possibly causing technology blackout, technology disruptions. Yes, the wording that's used very well could indicate an ozone layer that is, that's compromised. Possible. But you know what? Did you know that that was prophesied? Is this going to happen in Malachi chapter 4 verse 1? The very last Old Testament prophet said, quote, 
Surely the day is coming. It's going to burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. So Malachi said, chapter 4, verse 1. But here's the interesting part. Rather than repent, they get angrier. Rather than repenting and saying, oh, God, I'm sorry at what we've done that caused this, every human left on earth, which will be most of the earth's population, will curse God. And their heart will harden. Wait a minute, hearken back to Exodus. Remember what happened? Pharaoh, all of these plagues only caused his heart to be harder. It's the same thing. It only caused him to, to become more hardened toward God. There's not going to be any repentance. Now, if you remember earlier, a, a couple of a few chapters earlier in, in Revelation eleven thirteen, if you remember, there, was an, there will be an earthquake upon the earth in, uh, in Jerusalem. And whenever it happens, some of the people will repent. But here, nobody repents. They just get angrier. Dr. Thomas, a uh, great Bible scholar for many years, he said this is the only chapter where there is widespread blasphemy. Uh, blasphemy of God by the population. The beast has blasphemed before, uh, previously in earlier chapters, but now the entire population is going to at this solar flares They've got boils, they've got water, no, no water to drink, and the earth begins to scorch them. And finally they look up and shake their fist and blaspheme God. They've taken the, on the characteristics of the one they followed, the beast. The beast already blasphemed. They're becoming like him. And now they'll blaspheme. Blaspheme God rather than their own sinfulness. That sounds like today, doesn't it? Everything's somebody else's fault or God's fault. It's not because of my sin. Let's go to the fifth bold judgment. It's getting fun, isn't it? <laughs> Verses 10 and 11. We'll stop right there and then we'll pick up next week with, or next time, two weeks from now, with, with Armageddon. The fifth bold judgment, verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Once again, let's hearken back to Exodus. Another plague, darkness. What was one of the plagues on Egypt? Darkness. So you see the analogy. It's, it's almost one for one. The end time is going to be a repeat of Exodus. Now, remember a couple of chapters ago, the Antichrist has said they'll set up his new headquarters 
and he's going to set up his headquarters as, quote, the new Babylon. You remember that? And we, we kind of theorize with a lot of Bible scholars, what, what is the new Babylon? Is that, is that a physical headquarters? If it is, it's going to be in the Middle East that where the ancient Babylon was. It's about 50 miles south of Baghdad. So because of that, a, a lot of people theorize that, that the, new, the Antichrist is going to be Middle Eastern descent. He's going to be a, a Muslim follower uh, because of what we studied in the previous chapters. And, and if the Babylonian headquarters is Baghdad, some say Kuwait City, some say Dubai, some say Istanbul. But if, it's, if that's the new Babylon that we're, it's described here earlier where John said, I saw Babylon falling, perhaps the area affected by the darkness is the Babylon area. Uh, so is that a power failure, the power grid there, a disruption of global technology, or is it little, literal darkness where you can't see? We, that's what we don't really know. What does it mean darkness? Does it mean dark where you can't operate? Or does it mean darkness that nobody on the entire planet can, can operate? That's what we don't know. Is it literal or is it figurative? We, we really don't know. But it does say there will be excruciating pain inflicted on the beast worshipers. My question is, how does darkness imp- inflict pain? I don't know. And none of the Bible scholars know. But the darkness somehow is going to inflict so much pain that the sores and the darkness together will make them gnaw their tongues in anguish. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. But they're still physically feeling the effects of God's wrath being poured out. Now, again, the prophets prophesied this happening. Let me read some of them to you. Amos 5.18 says, quote, Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Isaiah 13.10 The rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. Zephaniah 1.15 That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. And then Mark 13, 24, Jesus, talking about the Olivet Discourse, about the end times, says, quote, in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So there will be darkness as a punishment from God. And they will cry out against the God of heaven, it says in verse 11. What does that sound like? You remember Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44, cried out against the God of heaven because he lost his mind. Remember that? Sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? So the sores... Sound like they're still around from the first bold judgment. Look, look again, verse 11. And they curse the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. So if the sores are still on their body from the first bold judgment, we're now to the fifth bold judgment, that kind of gives us a hint that all five are going to happen pretty fast, right? 
I mean, it's not going to be years and years between bowls two and three, or bowls three and four, or bowls four and five. If at bowl five, they still have the sores on their body from bowl one. So most theologians believe these five judge, these five bowls are going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Just one right after the other. And it's going to happen fast. We don't know that about the trumpet judgments or the seal judgments. But it appears the bowl judgments of God's wrath are going to happen quickly. So we've ended through the first five. Two weeks from tonight, we'll pick up with six and seven. We'll talk more at length about those. Because this whole time, marching toward Israel to persecute the Jews because they're blaming them for all this happening, because it's the God of Israel doing it, right? So all this time, marching toward Israel, armies, armies of the world that, are, that have gathered, they're slowed down a bit by the seas being blood, they're slowed down a bit by the boils, they're slowed down a bit by no water to feed to their armies to drink from, these are slowing them down. Darkness will slow them down. But they finally arrive in the valley of Jezreel, northern part of Israel. By the way, what Napoleon called the perfect battlefield. After he did battle in it, he said, it's the perfect battlefield. I'll tell you why next time. Because the armies have arrived and we're now to the sixth judgment. And we'll talk about that more in depth in our, in our next session. We had about a couple of minutes. Questions or comments that you may have? Yes. Great question. If Christians are still here during the tribulation, yes, we will be affected. If we're not, which a lot of Bible scholars believe we're taken at the beginning of the, of the tribulation, if we're taken then we'll be in heaven. We'll be part of that a martyr choir looking down going, oh boy, that's interesting, isn't it? So, but we'll be, we'll be in heaven, yeah, if, if that's the case. The believers who are left, those, will be those believers who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation who are from the Jewish nation. So, any other questions or comments? Yes. Yes. Good question. Does scorch mean annihilated, or does it mean that they have to continue to live with it? it? It appears to be that they continue to exist. So just that they're scorched from the heat of the sun, that they're, that they're, it, that's added to the pain of the sores. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like this, Charlie, I can promise you. <laughs> One more question or comment, and then we have to close. Any others? All right. All right. Good to see you tonight, and uh, we'll continue uh, going through Revelation. I am glad I'm a believer tonight, not one who blasphemes God. And follow his word, folks. Be obedient exactly the way he's told you to do. Doesn't matter what culture says, you be obedient to his word, and uh, you, you'll be better off for it. Let's pray together. We'll close. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the fact that Jesus uh, is Lord and supreme, and God, you will rule. Then, Father, as we get to the later chapters talking about the second coming of Christ and the glory of heaven, God, I just pray that you just use that as a time of encouragement to our people as well. Bless them tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.